Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALR PRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also partner U.S. and international law firms for international legal issues. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is Mary Erlane. Mary Erlane is the president of Peak Marketing and Sales Incorporated and serves as the executive vice president of the Leadership Management Institute Riverside. Mary is a business coach who specializes in, among other things, uh, leadership for uh, women in business. She is also the facilitator of the Peak Workshops and is co-facilitator of the Entrepreneurs Group in Chicago. A link to Mary's website is www.peakmarketingsales.com. Again, that's peakmarketingsales.com. Now, we do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we invite your caller questions either by email directly at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line, or also by please calling into the show. You can dial 917-889-9732, and you can press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the caller queue. Now, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Before we get going, we have a few announcements to read for you today. First of all, the Collaborative Law Institute on January 25th, 2011, from 2 to 5 p.m., with a reception to follow from 5 to 6, we'll be putting on an MCLE seminar at the Chicago Bar Association, located at 321 South Plymouth Court here in Chicago. There is more information available at chicagobar.org. This is a three-hour prelude to the larger two-day training, and there will also be a non-family civil collaborative training in Chicago coming up in February, information about which can be found at cpchicago.net. The presentation is entitled, Collaborative Law, Expanding Your Practice with this Limited Scope Model. The seminar will cover the history, mechanics, and ethics, and the shift in communication styles needed to practice this new and developing area of conflict resolution. Discussions will cover the application of collaborative practice model in family law and non-family law cases, and the necessary steps practitioners must take to retool their practices to provide the collaborative practice option to clients. The second announcement we have is the international software and technology law firm of Marcus Stephen Harris presents their software licensing webinar on February 15, 2011. Presentation is titled, Negotiating Software Licenses with Attorney Marcus Stephen Harris. Negotiating software licenses is a complicated process that takes knowledge and skill. Changing technology and new methods for software development and delivery have changed the game. The consequences of getting it wrong can be severe. This webinar will focus on understanding software licenses, their legal background, and how to maximize your rights while minimizing your risks during the negotiation process. 
Marcus Harris is an attorney who works with technology companies, software developers, and users regarding software development, licensing, ownership, and distribution. Prior to entering the private practice, he was a senior corporate counsel at SSA Global Technologies with and a global ERP software vendor. Mr. Harris also worked in the legal contracts department at SAP, where he drafted and negotiated hundreds of technology-related agreements with SAP's Fortune 500 customer base. For more information about Marcus Stephen Harris, please visit www.mshtechlaw, so M-S-H-T-E-C-H-L-A-W, law.com, so mshtechlaw.com. And if you would like to attend the webinar, you can find a link on the law firm's blog under the Publications tab. Additionally, as ALRPRA is promoting the event, you can call or email me for more information and to register for the event. Nick at ALRPRA.com is the email. We also thank you uh, for passing this on to other people who might be uh, interested in this event. Now, back to our show and everything with Mary Erlane today. We want to let you know that uh, Mary Erlane works to help the professionals learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing the barriers. And one of the things that we're going to talk about today, um, well, most of today, all of today, is basically about work, working with different generations and uh, what types of things that we should look for uh, in having better um, better work. So we're going to focus on, uh, number one, the traditionalists, and those are people born from 1930 to 45, then the boomers, 646 to 64, and then the generation Xers, that's me, 1965 to 1976, and the millennials, the Gen Ys, 1977 to 1990. Mary is going to talk about the generational challenges in communication, management, work ethic, and technology as they apply to law firms and uh, those hiring associates and growing their firms. You know, these are things that um, most of us in, in the legal profession don't really get to touch on, so we're quite happy to have Mary Erlein here to talk about these things today. So, Mary, let's take it away. Hi, Nick. Um, just an update. The website I have shortened. So instead of having to say peak marketing sales, we can now just say peakmsi.com, and that will get you right to my website. Oh, great. I'm going to make that change right now. So it's peakmsi.com? Yes. Peakmsi.com. All right. Great. Wonderful. I will make a note of that in my records. Everyone else will do as well. So tell us a little bit about this generational stuff. Well, it was just not all that long ago that the four generations finally existed in the workplace. You know, the people that you call the traditionalists, oftentimes people can call them veterans. They can call them um, the senior market. There are several different uh, names that uh, they get called. But they have stayed in the workplace long enough, and our Gen Ys at the other side of it have gotten old enough to enter the workplace. So really it has been not all that long that for the first time we've had four generations existing in the same workspace. Mary, with four generations of people existing in the same workplace, there has to be a, a tremendous variety of uh, attitudes and work ethics and opinions, and I, I think that that may lead itself uh, to, I suppose, communication breakdowns and difficulties where uh, one individual might find that another individual is being difficult. It's just a communication style. Can you um, tell us some of the differences that people should look for? Well, when we're looking at, now we'll, for the, the sake of it, call that traditionalist generation, um, the seniors, those that have been born. And, and these years vary from from survey to survey. 
but generally 1945 is the, the latest birth year, uh, they're typically very, very conservative people. They're fiscally prudent. They put the cash away. They pay in cash. Um, typically, the styles that they were used to communicating with way back when, and I'm old enough, even though I'm a boomer, I'm old enough to remember the rotary phone, they also prefer one-on-one and writing memos. Now, cautionary note, you know, this is not um, a one-size-fits-all. I have worked with several people in these generations in my time, in this particular generation, that can actually be more technologically savvy than I am. So we're talking of this in very, very general terms. But this was their particular um, ways. They also had some core values. You know, they very much respected authority, very much the conformers, and they had a stronger discipline style. So that's an overview of the traditionalists. Um, those that have been born prior to 1945 and are still out there in the market space. Okay. Um, when you know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that I, I don't know if it's if it's that the traditionalists or maybe the next group, but there seemed to be a difference. Um, and I know that we're going to get into this later, but technology, I, I keep having people tell me, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do that. You young people know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm just never sure how to respond to that because it almost sounds condescending. And we will, we will get into that in a little bit in the communication styles because ideally um, the objective of this particular uh, radio show today is really being able to communicate um, better amongst the four generations and having a general respect and understanding of each other. And maybe some of these, the little clues, the little um, things that we can do to build bridges. Talking about the baby boomers, and that's where I am. Um, I'm a younger uh, boomer. Uh, and these are people that were born prior to 1964 but after 46. This is the largest group right now. This is a group that's been probably one of the hardest hit in the world of unemployment right now. Typically, they're very, very ambitious. Um, They're most educated as compared to the other three generations. Very, very strong work ethic. They're loyal to their careers and their employers, and they're classic multitaskers. Um, If that's one thing that, that I noticed in my particular generation is, you know, in multitasking, people will actually put that on a resume as they're great multitaskers. But I actually have a survey that shows, and it was in the Sun-Times some years ago, that said people that are high on marijuana actually are more effective than people who multitask. And I think that really shows (laughs) how clear multitasking does not work. (laughs) Well, you know, my opinion is um, not about the pot necessarily, but... Um, if if I'm focusing on on too on too many things at once, I'm not all in on any of the things that I'm doing. So I'm not giving anything its full attention. So I tend to do one thing at a time and then stop it and then move to the next instead of mm-hmm. doing too many because it's just crazy. So all right, so those are the boomers. Well, um, the boomers. The one more thing about the boomers, and I saw an article in the paper. The boomers are in trouble because they're beginning to get to that retirement age. And they were very much a buy-now-pay-later generation. 
and they are not prepared for retirement and will more than likely need to stay in the workplace much longer than even the traditionalists because the traditionalists put it away and they paid cash. Sure. Uh, the baby boomers were very, very um, strong in the world of credit and, like I said, buy now, pay later. And this generation is in some, some trouble. Well, and, and, you know, and I'm in the generation you're going to talk about next. And I was raised by the boomers, so I'm in the Gen Xers. Tell us a little bit about them. Us, Again, me. tell them all about you. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that we have that much time. Um <laughs> I I actually have um, uh, interesting facts on this. They grew up um, in uh, more of an independent uh, environment. Um, In the in the had a very strong nuclear family in the traditionalists. That family structure began to disintegrate um, in the boomer generation. And in this case, there's the highest number of divorced parents in this particular generation. They're dual-income families, typically. Maybe not necessarily in this current environment, but the necessity of having um, dual-income families. A lot of latchkey kids. You know, the Gen Xers tend to be much more self-sufficient because when you have dual-income parents, you come home to an empty home. And oftentimes they were the extras were responsible for getting work, chores, homework, whatnot done before parents got home from school. So so the extras, if there's one word to describe them, is that heightened level of independence. Um, in the world of, of um dealing with money, they're a little bit more cautious and conservative. Um I'm not sure I've run across that exactly, but, you know, at least the the facts and figures I have. Um, The latchkey kids aspect of it is is one of the critical components um, in in the extra generation that really defines them. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and it's also a generation I like to talk about is a generation of, um, you know, mom and dad say, here's 20 bucks, go get, go rent a video game, go to the mall. And, you know, we were, uh, you know, taking buses to the mall, doing all these things. On our, we were very independent, and so that's, mm-hmm. that, is, that is a good thing. Now tell me about the more, the more interesting um, generation that is now entering into, uh, you know, management and professional positions, the millennials and the Gen Ys. I'm now seeing um, there's all sorts of lawyers out there who are millennials. Exactly. Now, these people grew up very similar to the Xers. Uh, something that is definitive between Xers and Ys, a lot of it revolves around technology. Uh, they are now very much like generations ago. They're very conscious of that global environment, you know, when you're hearing all about green. They're open-minded and accepting of differences, much more open-minded and accepting of differences in in the things that the prior generations have difficulties with, like race and gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, uh, much more open-minded, much more socially um, conscious. Now, this generation has been exposed to one of our greatest tragedies, and they are very concerned with personal safety, and that is, very similar to um, the traditionalists, we've had our Gen Ys and even Gen Xs um, exposed, and it has formed them to uh, 
and they were old enough to remember it, and they were in school. So that is kind of put a little bit of a thumbprint. The other thing is they're also old enough to remember this horrid uh, recession that we're going through, very similar to the way the Depression formed the traditionalists. So you know, Mary, a little bit of a repeat going on here. Well, and the thing, one of these things that you know, I'll say is that um, 1984 was a really uh, remarkable year. I was in fourth grade when my fourth grade teacher told me about the, you know, first we dealt with the fallout of Chernobyl, and I remember running home from school. It was raining because I was afraid of acid rain. To this day, I don't like being in the rain. Um, and the next thing that happened was the Space Shuttle Challenger. And to watch the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up, blow up, really, okay. at you know, in fourth grade, really ro- shocked me a little sure. bit. Um, you know, and le- gave me a sense of, um, you know, there's, you know, we are, we're, we're mortals. You know, there, um, you know, mm-hmm. anything could happen at, at any time, and that's a really scary, a scary thing. So, um, you know, and it's of course, and I think it's interesting too that I'm part of the last um, of the you know people who are worried about um things with uh, you know the cold war and um you know the soviet union or are the russians going to attack and are we going to have nuclear war you know these are just not things that um some of the you know the gen y's seem to be as concerned about i'm sorry my phone is I'm sorry about that um Anyways, we're going to break for a quick commercial break, and then we mm-hmm. have a lawyer on the line. It's our buddy Jim Thompson. How are you doing, Jim? Uh, Nick, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm very interested in what, what uh, is being said by Mary. Having a daughter your age, I want to find out all, all about her. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll be back in uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes. We're just going to get some messages from our sponsors. I have anyone who's just t- uh, tuning in. You're listening to the Lawyers Toolbox on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Our first com- commercial sponsor of the day is the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and marketing your business, you should call the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor is The Lawyer Market. This is a listing service, and let me tell you, their website is one of the best-kept secrets for any solos or small firms trying to market their practices. You can join The Lawyer Market for free, and the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of consumers who are interested in hiring you. The Lawyer Marketplace offers a win-win solution to its listed attorneys and the potential clients searching for their legal services. Visit www.thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers for more information. That website, again, is thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers. Now, back to our show. We want to encourage anyone to call in with a question. Uh, Telephone number to call in is area code 917-889-9732. Option one to be placed in the queue. And as all, emails are welcome. N-I-C-K, Nick, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Back with Mary and uh, Jim. Jim, as uh, you know, Mary and I discuss here, uh, maybe you can chime in with uh, your experience. Um, if you want to identify your generation, Jim, you may. Um, I think you and my dad are in the same generational group. 
Yeah, I'll pass on that. I'm much younger than you are, Nick. No. Um, if, you, if you guys are picking on me, I'm picking on you. <laughs> you know, I am in your dad's generation, obviously, and and, and uh, when when you mentioned, or oh, I think Mary mentioned it to describe you, would probably take the, the show and a half. But it's kind of interesting when um, you you have to. I guess this is something I never gave a thought to up until maybe four or five years ago, that there's such a distinct difference in the way that um, you talk to people, you market to people. I know my daughter was was working with companies, and she'd come home and she'd talk talk to me about the uh, corporate culture, and I'm going, oh, really? What is that? And it's just a whole different uh, way that uh, you have to learn, I guess, uh, to to express yourself. You You made an interesting point too, Nick, I think of the uh, different experiences, different generations have gone through, like uh, Chernobyl, like the, the um, uh, 9-11, and things that make an indelible imprint. Um, I can remember, I guess this will date me if I say this, but I remember sitting in a freshman college class um, when Kennedy was assassinated. And, you know, it's things like that. that you, you, you know where you were at that time that something happened, and I think that shapes a lot of the way you think. Uh, about things. And just one more thing. I know my daughter, who is your age, Nick, or right around your age, is much more conscious about money and saving and putting away for retirement than I ever was uh, at her age. It's just, it's, you know, it's just an interesting way that different different generations have, have evolved as far as um, their thought processes. Sure. So I'll sit back and listen now. <laughs> Thanks much, Jim. All right, Mary, tell us a little bit. Okay, we, we identified some different generation groups here. Now, let's learn a little bit more about what what we can take, you know, what should we do now with this information, um, you know, focusing on a law firm. But, of course, this is uh, applicable to all advice. And maybe this is good advice for attorneys and their clients as well as you're dealing with different people from, you know, the attorney-client dynamic. That's, that's an interesting um, aspect of this as well. Exactly. And if we're going to literally identify the generations. And again, this is overgeneralizing. But that traditionalist group, um, our oldest group in, in the workplace right now, was used to snail mail. You know, the mail came once a day. That was it. You know, we basically, I know that's just really hard to believe that that's literally the only time we received physical paper mail from, you know, the outside world. If if we wanted to communicate with somebody, you know, there was a certain level of formality to this. You know, if we were going to write a letter or if we were going to put a memo together and send it out, there's formality to the way that they communicated. In the world of the, the boomers, you know, and, and clearly in the traditionalists, the telephone came in, but, but then it became um, the use of the telephone. And uh, um, that's how ultimately we communicate. Literally, we prefer to be in person. Baby boomers need that um, face-to-face interaction. It's something that we thrive on. It's something that we've been raised with. Um, Business was done either face-to-face, appointments were made over the phone. Now, there was a, a great shift when you think about this, there was a great shift between the boomers and Gen Xers, and that is when computers came on the horizon, and it completely transformed 
prior to that, we had, you know, radio, TV, and, and telephones. Now when we in, uh, brought in email, actually email, it can be our greatest um, friend. It can be our worst foe, depending on how we treat it. But all of a sudden, instant gratification came on the horizon. I could communicate with you. You just look at you um, you and I and how we, you and I, Nick, have communicated today is either by texting or emailing because we had a couple little snafus that you and I had to work out. Back prior to email and texting, it, it, that would have been done via the telephone. And even prior to answering machines, we would have had to keep dialing, dialing, dialing. Oh, I so can't stand the, it when someone calls me now, honestly. <laughs> Unless I know they're calling, it's, I'm put off. I'm not sure what they're calling about. I mean, I probably shouldn't say that, but I mean, it's true. It's, it's unnerving when a phone, and I was used to being the guy mm-hmm. on the phone all the time, on the phone, phone, phone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up in law where everything was phone calls and letters. When I was in law school, email was brand new, and we weren't sure what even to do with it. And I remember people were saying, can you use this? Can you communicate? Like, um, you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. No, and now, you know, with my um, youngest son, and somebody actually told me the same story. Now, to to explain, I've got one Xer, and I've got two Ys as as children. And my... um, but my my Xer very much functions like like a Y, you know, and that's where I'm saying these dates, there's some, you know, sort of like the Zodiac, there's some variance, you know, there's a cusp in a way where people can lean one way or another. My son is like, oh, I sent you an email. Mom, I never cha- check email. You know, for them, email is like the old answering machines for phones. I mean, for them, it's, out of date. Everything is texting and blackboarding and all the stuff that goes on in universities, Facebook, all of this instant messaging of some form or fashion is going on. And there's no real formality to this. It's all very um, very casual, very very, um, immediate, I should say, and very impulsive. So you take these four people, one from each generation, and put them in a law firm. And that's when the quote-unquote fun begins to happen. Because what happens is is we, we tend to get comfortable functioning in our own generational style, if you will, and we become hypercritical or we become disrespectful to when styles are around us that are different and this can create the dynamics and the communications problems in the workplace. Um, You know, if you look with each one of those generations, the styles in which they communicate with each other, literally, literally, I've seen people texting each other in the same room, the the wise. It's almost awkward for them to have face-to-face conversations sometimes because everything is being done with the thumbs or the keyboard or the phone in some form or fashion. Um, to actually get in a conversation with people, their socialization has changed. Um, and and that can really be the crux of a problem when they're having to function with generations that are beyond them, you know, that can are I older. Comments? Can I make a comment? Um, okay. Just... Just yes, just last, just yesterday, I was talking uh, with a friend of mine who's a project manager working at a very high level um, project 
<clears throat> and he and another, um, and this is all technology. They were. They, he says that at work they are in a room and they have this projector they share, and they are just like clicking back and forth and like sharing the projector, unsharing the projector. And someone came in and started talking to them and introducing, and um, you know, someone who talks a lot and you know, was, uh, introducing himself and telling a little bit about how they got there. And and uh, my friend said that he and the other guy were just sort of like they didn't know what to do. And my friend always says, Nick, I have no idea how you go to networking events, how you can pick random people off the street and become friends with them. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just the way, maybe that is a generational thing. And that's maybe that is why some of the, the younger people are having a harder time networking because, you know, all of that, so much of that's done on Facebook. I have so many of these people who, you know, I don't want to say these people, that's bad, but so many people who will only communicate with me through Facebook. And if I try to email, it's just like you said, they'll never get it. Exactly. And this creates the dynamics, and and then we can get in a little bit later, is how do we manage that? But prior to the break, you know, we never assume that when we see somebody with some gray or white hair, um, and I'm not talking about Anderson Cooper who grayed very young, I'm talking about somebody who's got some wrinkles and gray hair, never assume that they want a letter the easiest way, and you were talking about how do we deal with this, is any individual that you work with, any client that you have, anybody that you want to communicate with, you ask this simple question. Nick, how would you prefer that we stay in touch? And then get inside your your um, contact management system. I don't care if it's Outlook, your phone, something, and make a little note that Mary prefers emails that maybe Jim would prefer a phone call, that so-and-so would prefer a text message or Facebook. And just create a column, a little note somewhere, and now we've solved one issue. And once, it may not necessarily be my style, but in the world of building relationships, building a bridge and respecting that's their style, ultimately teaches them maybe to do the same for you. That's a good so, point. Good point. That's a good point. Mary, I don't mean to uh, cut you off, but um, we are going to pause quickly for our second set of commercial breaks and some daily legal news, and then we'll be back. But I really like this idea of um, you know, making a conscious effort to learn how people want to communicate and uh, you know, kind of work with that because I think that the flexibility – in work in the workplace is something that people will necessarily need to uh, do, and I and I, I think that you know I see I mean there are certain people that I write letters to. I know if I send them a letter and a letter is on their desk when you know it is with stationery and everything, I'll get a response. So um, it's just being mindful that we're all of different generations, we grew up during different times. I believe in everything Mary is saying. Wonderful comments. We will be back in a few moments. Um, anyone who has just tuned in, you're listening to Law Talk Radio. Our daily news today um, is from the AmLaw Daily. Again, we always look at the AmLaw Daily for legal news and the AmLaw Litigation Daily for all sorts of great content. Today's article, uh, which I found today, January 12th at 6.31 p.m. Actually, that was last night. Um, the Careerist, Doing the Math posted by Vivia Chen, and it goes, quote, uh, I envy accountants 
Why? Because those are the number crunchers that seem to enjoy fabulous lifestyles. As the New York Times reports, the accounting industry goes far outshines the rest of the corporate America in respecting a work-life balance with their employees. Uh, here is more of what the paper has to say on the subject. And Ernst & Young... At, at Ernst & Young, as the nation's other major accounting firms, workplace flexibility has been built into the culture even during crunch time. Every Monday morning, the 15 people on Mr. Leeds team meet and lay out the personal commitments that they may interfere with work, basketball games, teacher conference, Pilates, classes, weddings, and they arrange to cover for each other, helping to make the busy season more tolerable for everyone. Now, it gets better. At some accounting firms, some employees get to take off the entire summer. Others get three- to six-month sabbaticals at 40% pay, allowing them to chase life dreams like climbing mountains or building schoolhouses in Africa. And says NYT, since these are bean counters we're talking about, they've done the math. Flexibility enhances the bottom line. A summer without work or a subsidized sabbatical wouldn't be uh, – who wouldn't want a job like that? For years now, we've been hearing about law firms wanting to adopt the ways of accounting firms, but does the analogy fit? Could the accounting work style work in the world of law? Very interesting article. There's a click here to continue reading. So go to the AmLaw Daily News to read the rest of that article. Um, I really – think that there needs to be a balance. My editorial, personally, is that a balance in life is good. There are times to really put your nose to the grindstone, get the work done, and other times to uh, enjoy uh, some of the better things in life, like our friends and family, and you know the reason that we uh, go to work every day, so that we can uh, have a better quality of life. So, very interesting uh, the applicability of that model to law from uh, the accounting world. Now, secondly, uh, we have a sponsor message from our friend who's on the show today. It's Jim Thompson. If you want to get more clients, he's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you need to talk to. Jim Thompson's program is called Get Clients Now, and he will help you take the crucial step towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net and also by dialing into our show, 917-889-9732, option 1. Now, back with Mary Erlaine. Mary, we were talking a little bit about communication styles and respecting people's preferences for communication. What are some next things we should think about? Well, when we're looking at management, now, you know, in communication, oftentimes we try to force feed the uh, our particular style that we're comfortable with as opposed to maybe seeking to build the bridge. In the world of management, there are such a variety of managers, like you had mentioned early on in the show. You know, Gen Ys are beginning to enter those management positions. Um, there are some gen, very successful Gen Y entrepreneurs. We still have to remember that these businesses are selling to a wide scope of generations, and it would it would help management to actually invest in themselves and develop their leadership styles. Because if you're looking at leadership styles, you know in the in the world of the traditionalists, you know they were more um, directive. It was command and control. 
you know, they they came from um, that autocratic kind of style, bit of bit of taskmasters. Now again, overgeneralizing, but that's at least what they have been exposed to. You know, a little bit more of a military um, style, um, commanding respect, or I should say, demanding respect sometimes. In in the world of the baby boomers, they were a lot more consensual in in their style. Uh, Gen X's, um, everyone's the same, you know, challenge others, ask why. Um, it, it's, um, and, and these, if you can see, begin to start to rub up against each other. And the Gen Y's, I think, um, I think it's yet to be determined. And I think also you then have to take gender into this. I did a whole program prior to this on the um, the leadership styles for leadership for women. You know, they're entering the work sh- the workplace in droves, so I think this tends to make the waters a little murkier. But I don't think it's ever too late for anybody to invest in developing good leadership skills as opposed to the conditioning that we just had and we were raised with and we adopted from watching others. I think in the world of managing these generations, the more people can invest in developing themselves, which is what I do, is really where we begin to build the, the bridge between these generations. You know, I have a program called Effective Team Development. That's exactly what this does is it, it brings the teams together, varied teams, diverse t- teams, age, gender, um, together and ends up building bridges so this team can be highly effective, yet at the same time respect each other's differences. I'm just I'm tweeting that because that's really good. Yes, oh, I tweet I'm during good. the show. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be that multitasking we were talking about. <laughs> well, it's it's also <laughs> for okay. You're welcome, well, Jim. You're welcome, Jim. <laughs> you're, you're, you know what? Okay, let me ask you this. When I will do things, in the, I want to see if this is just me or if this is a generational thing. I will do things as they are happening because if I don't get it done now, the chance of coming back to it, um, if it's something that's like you know. Uh, certain things I want to tweet about the show to promote um, you know, the topics, uh, I will do it contemporaneous to it when it's happening because as this is going on, I am all into this. Um, and instead of coming back and say, oh, by the way, Mary said this, Mary said that, because it's just, uh, it's all about efficiency and efficiency with time, because when it's work time, it's work time, and when it's not work time, I don't want to be bothered. If I'm watching football, I'm not answering the phone. Is that, is that just me or is that a Gen X thing? I, I don't. I think I think frankly I see that across a lot of generations, but um, I think that's a standard of conditioning that we get ourselves some bad habits we get ourselves into where um, we don't understand how much we drain our energy shifting from one thing to the next to the next, as opposed to maybe keeping. Um, some voice recorder or paper and pen around and chunking up on things. You know, we shift from email to text messaging to the voicemail to the project, you know, back to answering questions. And in reality, if, if we were just more effective, not efficient, because you can be efficient doing the wrong things, um, you can be highly efficient at sorting your desk all day long. Um, does it really drive you income? You know me and the high payoff activities. Um, 
for me, it's focusing all my effort and time on my high payoff activities. Assembling a list of that stuff that you're saying needs to get done and do that um, when I've done everything I could to drive income to my life and my business, that's when the rest of that gets done. So for me, it's all about planning. And, you know, you know me well enough, Nick, that that's what I coach and teach you. Yes. And I'm not saying that to you, you are not alone, um, but sometimes we just don't know any better. Back to the generations, sometimes we just don't know any better. We tend to hang out with people that are of like age, and we get used to it. And then somebody comes in that's different, we don't know how to respond. And typically what we do is, we respond negatively. We don't seek to understand maybe what can we glean for this individual that can actually help us. We do is we sometimes build a barrier and a wall and keep it out. When in reality, those traditionalists and these older baby boomers have volumes of wisdom to share for the younger people out in the workplace. We're just not seeking and getting it from them. Um, but they have volumes of wisdom because we wouldn't be well, maybe this is a stretch because our our economy is on its way back. But frankly, we wouldn't be who we are had we not had the, the people prior to us paving the way. I'm not going to get into some political discussion of the economics. What's the reality no, is there still are no. very good things that the traditionalists and the boomers have done to, to, to have us where we're at today. Right, right. You know, it's interesting too. Uh, you know, I never, I remember hearing there's not going to be any social security. I, you know, I never planned to retire. In fact, you know, I saw a lot of people retired. Um, you know, in my neighborhood growing up, and and these guys would stand around their garages and build birdhouses all day. I can see doing that. That just does not seem this concept of retirement. I just don't have it. So I don't know. We're on work ethic, right? And we're so we're talking a little bit about work ethic and some of these other things. I know we're kind of going um back and forth a little, but I don't think that people are planning to retire. And a lot of the people I know who are entering the you know the the legal community now, coming out of law school, I mean things are bleak. And you know the the thought of even ever paying off the student loans seems impossible to some people. So you know not only that, advances in medical technologies uh, could have us living uh, much longer than uh, than mm -hmm. other people. And people who are born today are easily living to a hundred. And mm -hmm. you know, and I'm going to have to keep working and adapting. And it just seems like it's such a stress. I know to keep one thing. I've really been happy that I've kept up with technology because I was afraid to fall behind the curve. And now that keeping up with technology has been a, a tremendous asset. Um, you know, not and I'm not even saying in being ahead, but just keeping up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, the four generations is going to continue. You made a, a mention of it, and that's the medical technology that they continue to build upon. So once the baby boomers now have shifted and our seniors are all but gone out of the workplace, you know, the baby boomers now move into that first and I'm not exactly sure what they're calling kids like my grand grandson and and my um, my step grandkids. I'm not sure what they're calling them just yet, but there'll be many baby boomers still in the workplace as those children today begin to shift into the place of the Gen Y. So, you know, this isn't a one-time happening. This is probably a trend. When we're talking about work ethic, you know, I'm talking about the traditionalists. It was hard work. You know, there was sacrifice and there was a sense of duty. 
you know, and and I still see that when I when I um, when I if, if if I could describe that generation, that definitely describe them. And and my parents are both gone, but they both came out of that generation. Baby boomers started the world of the workaholics. Now they'll work very efficiently, and they work for personal fulfillment. But balance in their life does not exist. It's work to live. And now because of what has happened in our recession and because some of the choices that they have made in terms of lack of saving for um, retirement and the, the all the things that you describe with pensions and Social Security, that work to live, unfortunately, is going to be so much longer for them. When we're looking at the Xers, um, very self-reliant, goes kind of back to that latch key, goes back to what the conditioning was when they were, were kids. They do want structure and direction. Um, the sense of entitlement starts to seep in there, and the Gen Ys very much have have a, um, there is a sense of entitlement, and I don't know how often I've heard that when people have approached me about how do you work with the X's and the Y's and the, the sense of entitlement. And the baby boomers, frankly, created the, their, that own dynamic. Um, they're very entrepreneurial in nature, and, and actually the wise are a lot more goal-oriented um, than, than the other generations, you know, are preceding them. So, again, it's got, there are valuable assets within each generation, and we'd be smart if we sat back and learned from each other. Again, Investing in developing and understanding versus fighting and criticizing. You know, if we just invest in developing our people, because frankly, all of these generations are the human capital inside of a business, and that is the most valuable asset. We can either fight with it or we can develop it. And then the results, really, of those choices will um, depend on the choice you make. Mary, that's a, such a, such a wise, wise comment, and it reminds me of the show that you um, were on when we talked about succession planning and assessing our human capital um, within our organizations and the different things different people bring to the table. And I see nothing wrong with uh, going through and assessing different people's generational attributes and how they are naturally strongest because there is really a place for everyone there is you know i always say that there are enough clients out there for everyone i mean i'm a very competitive person myself but um you know the, everyone has the right client match so we'll continue we'll be back in a, a few short moments after we finish out with our final set of commercial sponsors and our law practice management resources number one today comes from the american bar association check out their website www.ababooks.org they are very affordable. Books are a good thing. They look good on a shelf. They're wonderful references. You can read them on a bus, on a train, on the couch. Turn the computer off every now and then. Get into a book. First one is Law Office Policy and Procedures Manual, 6th edition. This newly updated and expanded edition of an ABA bestseller includes everything you need to create a complete customized manual that can serve as a reference guide for your entire firm and as a training tool for new employees, associates, and temporary workers. Using the accompanying CD-ROM, you can edit text and produce your own law firm policies and procedures manual and revise it whenever needed. This indispensable manual covers every facet of basic law office operations and also includes material on COBRA, stress injuries, 
AIDS, HIV, and much more. The sixth edition contains information and policies on new statutes and amended statutes within which law firms must comply, plus other areas of interest in, and including, and the list goes on. So go to ababooks.org. That title was Law Office Policy and Procedures Manual, 6th edition. Our second law practice management resource of the day is the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin Chicago Lawyer Magazine. These have up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois, and you can also check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. Visit attorneysintransition.com. I write one of the advice columns for the Attorneys in Transition site, and I feel strongly about the many benefits offered by all those who contribute at the Law Bulletin Publishing Company. Sorry, you got tongue-tied. The Law Bulletin Publishing Company. Again, Attorneys in Transition, the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin, Chicago Lawyer Magazine. Wonderful resources. Our third uh, our third law practice management resources, of course, the Law Practice Management School. It's now underway. We got started yesterday. People can enroll at any time, or if they just want the materials, we'll sell you those as well. Uh, so anyways, the Law Practice Management School, you can find more information at ALRPRA.com. There is a tab on the website called school you can learn there so again whether you're interested in the online courses that are ongoing or if you just want the information um, and want to buy it that way that's fine too give us a call be in touch now our third and our final sponsor our fourth sponsor of the day is george finder credit damage expert george finder has still been doing so much in the area of credit damage analysis he actually has a paralegal uh, program that he's teaching, and I believe that you can get CLE credit for the paralegal program. I'm not sure on that exactly, but uh, more information will be coming uh, very shortly. You'll be hearing a lot more about George Finder. He'll be on the radio show soon. Um, he's been on before, and he'll be back. He's a credit damage expert, and he can put a dollar amount on damage to credit reputation, one of the only ones in the country who can do this. And the plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in the various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. You'll learn to spot credit damage events worthy of credit hiring George Finder for his credit damage analysis service. Available nationwide, George Finder's website is full of resources. You can find that at creditdamageexpert.com and learn more about these expert services. There's a nice video there, and you can learn all about credit damage analysis. So we want to remind our uh, listeners out there, if you do want to call in, you can always call into the show, 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the queue, or email and nick at ALRPRA.com. Uh, as well, uh, when you find these shows on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, be kind and share, because not everyone can tune in and listen when they're live, and by sharing, you're exposing our um, our listeners uh, you know, this great information to more and more people, and that's really the goal of all this, to get people information so that they can run better law offices, be happier lawyers, go to their kids' soccer games, have a better life. So, now that brings us back to uh, Mary Erlaine. So, Mary's telling us today a little bit more about how to work within different generations and uh, really have our understanding of the differences and respect for those who grew up in different periods of time and what was going on in history. This has formed who we are as people, and we're learning all about different ways that we can better communicate, work with each other, um, and you know, work with technology. And again, it, the, the overall theme here is wake up and realize that deep, different people from different times they just have different perspectives. And the more we can work together with our mutual differences, then we can go forward and we can conquer. So divide and conquer. Mary, take it away. Tell us more. 
Okay. Well, now we get to um, the world of um, technology. And um, you will find traditionalists, you know, with smartphones and email, but oftentimes it's how they use them. Um, so when we look at technology in general, um, people can use it as a friend, they can use it as, as a foe. And just because you see, um, example given, my husband is a boomer, has a smartphone, and doesn't use half the features, maybe a quarter of the features, that that smartphone actually has. I, on the other hand, am always fiddling around with this um, 4G Evo that I have, and I'm already, you know, I'm always finding out new apps, new little things that I can do and really trying to test the power of the phone. So just, we, we can't make assumptions, you know, that um, just because somebody has something that they really do understand how to do it. Um, I run into the world of technology. I run into boomers um, who are not all that savvy in the world of Microsoft Office. And then, you know, there are those that are. So I think the waters become a little bit murky sometimes amongst the generations, and I think a lot of it has to do with the, the interest level and the, and the risk versus reward. I mean, if people get the rewards of doing something with new technology and it, it drives some level of income into their life, makes their job easier, um, makes them look better, um, has things going faster, they'll test the waters and do it. And then mm -hmm. there are those that don't want to be bothered. Um, and, and that's where the virtual assistants of the world come in and, and oftentimes they'll pay somebody to do it for them. Um, so technology, the waters get a little murky. However, at the same time, the learning curve is much greater for the boomers and the traditionalists in new technology because X's and Y's have always had it. They've been exposed to it. They've, it's, um, it's not an, um, a hard uh, hurdle for them to leap because they've had computers since they were little kids in school. I had a computer in, in high school. We had to type key cards on it. Um, and people are probably going, what the heck is a key oh, yeah, card? What? <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah. What? You know, I had to type, yes, the computer ran. So, you know, we were like we were like cutting edge in the district back in the, the late 70s to have a computer. Um, other high schools didn't have it. While in reality, this thing had its own room. Um, it was so huge. So... Um, you know, the learning curve, yeah, I could say I had a computer in school, but it's not saying much. My kids, on the other hand, everything has been on computers, and they've always been exposed to it. So you may see boomers and, and traditionalists doing things. Oftentimes, unless they're in technology and they've been educated, there's a, there's a stronger learning curve. But they're willing to learn. And this is where Gen Xs and Ys can fall into a position of respectfully offering to teach and help each other and be a resource. At the same time, the, veteran, the, the traditionalists and the, the boomers can offer the wisdom that they have. Um, so how do you build in, in kind of wrapping this up? Um, it's investing the time and effort to actually work together as a team, and sometimes we have to put a few hard dollars and some formalized development into doing that. But human capital is ultimately, in the end of the day, 
um, and this brings up another point because there are businesses that are transferring ownership amongst the generations, not just family-run businesses, but businesses in general. As the traditionalists are selling businesses, sometimes the baby boomers are retiring or they're being forced to sell. Um, this, the value of a business are, are the people inside, and um, developing them as a as a, a nucleus and as a team where they begin to respect each other and respect their differences and learn to use them to the, the company's advantage. Um, that's what I do for a living, but that's where we really can bring the four generations together. Not an easy task, not done overnight, but it's not impossible. Mary, can you talk a little bit more about generally what business coaching is and how that can apply to um, a law firm? And again, I will say that you know a lot of the advances in technology and social media and uh, email marketing campaigns have brought the world of business to the world of law. Um, law has traditionally operated rather independent. Um, and I know that when I was uh, you know, younger and uh, in law firms, I wasn't using Outlook. I mean, we just we didn't do email. It's just, it was all correspondence. So um, how can, it just in a nutshell, how could you help, let's say, a small to mid-sized law firm with these issues? What would it look like? I work on a total person and a total leader. Um, the total person is truly that balance aspect. We're working for a life outside of our work. I don't care if you're a workaholic or not. Ultimately, it, you're still wanting to, to have a life outside your work. So in my world, it's all about goal setting. The business development, personal goals. Um, business goal, naturally, that's, that's obvious. Developmental goal, if you want to grow your business to some level, you have to grow too. So we have to develop some aspect of you that, that you don't have now. And a personal goal, because when we drive that energy, whether you feel better or you feel better within your family or whatever it is, it creates that perpetual motion of, of growth. Total leader. You first need to be productive with your time. You need to understand where your high payoff activities, the things that drive income in your life. Measured by dollars, oftentimes measured by other things in your personal life that can be priceless. Effective personal leadership. As attorneys, we have to learn to lead ourselves first before we can lead others. And once we learn that, and in the world of leadership for women or effective personal leadership for either men or women, um, that's what we do. Then how do you motivate others? And we can bring some of the topic in today and that is motivating other people is not a one-size-fits-all science in a sense. Um, and then how do you strategically lead? You know, what is that, that and, and this is what's easy for, for attorneys because it's always about the end game. It's always about the, you know, closing the case in a sense. But leading yourself in a business and having a strategic point of growth is, is different. Um, and what I do is I work individually. There's a process that's time-tested, um, I work in the world of goal setting. We work in the, the crux of the problem, that conditioning that we've spoken about all day here. Um, and it's been 50, it's 50 years old, 65 countries strong, translated into 23 languages. The process works. It's been time-tested over many attorneys and many business people um, all across the world. Um, 
that's what we do. It's the oldest, largest, and most successful leadership development company in the world, and I'm proud to be part of it um, with all of my Riverside as a business coach. My passion, one-to-one. Very much the boomer. Love that face-to-face and one-to-one. That's, that's a passion of mine. Mary loves the face-to-face. Mary always yells at me when I want to do everything online or on a webinar. She says, no, I need face-to-face. We need FaceTime. So, <laughs> you know, so I will... So I will, I will, I will bend and I will say, I appreciate that Mary finds value in our face-to-face time meeting. And then what I will do is I will compromise and I will take the train out to the suburbs and I will meet with her, but I will have my phone and my laptop with my Sprint Air Card and I will be working and billing the entire time so that I have no wasted time during the trip. So that's the way we learn to work. It's a, you know what? That's a really nice example. Um, you know, of how we do things and how I may, and I really like that. I'm able to communicate and stay in touch with everyone because what's important to me is to return the phone calls right away, to return emails right away, even if I don't have substantive email, just acknowledge it so that people aren't waiting. And just the thought of um, dispatching a letter and waiting for the person to get it, waiting for them to call, waiting them, and believe me, I grew up, I was in college and law school during the times that that was what was happening, and I look back now and I think how inefficient um, that was, but I suppose now we're just, we can do things quickly, so now we can get more work done, so actually I really do feel bad for some of the, um, you know, people who are, you know, you know, I talk to some people who feel like they are, um, you know, one of my clients told me, he says, I feel like a hamster spinning on a wheel doing the same thing. And then one of the days I'm either going to fall off or I'm going to die, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, I really do feel, uh, you know, there's a sense of, I don't want to, pity's. I don't know. Is it appropriate to feel pity, Mary, for people who are, are challenged by all the technology? I mean, I, they seem to always apologize for not being more tech savvy. I think the, the, the gentleman on the hamster wheel would be a perfect introduction to me. Um, but oftentimes where I work in is it, maybe it isn't about the technology. Maybe it's trying to apply technology to a deeper problem, and that is lack of being effective um, and productive. So people that oftentimes are blaming it on the technology may have a deeper issue um, that we need to look at and become more effective and productive by which then you can layer technology. And see, oftentimes we use technology to solve our own development issues, when in reality, it's us. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the phone. Jim, <laughs> Jim your follow-up comments? Well, I, well, while we were talking, I just texted a quick message to Nick, Mary, and he replied already. So, <laughs> But I will say this really quick. Um, it. I think a lot of the things with the new gen- the generation Y, the generation X, sometimes they get things quicker. Um, it took mm-hmm. me a long time before I mm-hmm. started texting back and forth. And uh, I remember when I first texted my daughter a, a message, I think the first text she ever got from me, she texted me back like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did this. <laughs> and, you know, it, 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 it's yes, if we're going to survive, we have to learn how to do it, too. And mm-hmm. uh, it is, it, it, but it really is neat. Like when uh, I, I learn new things from the from the, um, from, I guess I want to say the kids. When you sit down and they show you how you can do this and how you can do that, you go, wow, I get it. And it, it is. It's just, I mean, it's so neat to communicate. Like I just did with Nick. I just sent him a quick message and he replied all of a sudden. So it's uh, yeah. instant gratification. You know, but having said, 
I, just, I was going to say, text, having said that, Mary. Just, no, no, I want you to finish. I just want to interject this with a text thing and then leave it. My dad texts me all that he. My dad learned to text. We taught him how to text because he was calling us all the time for things that there was no need for a phone call. And I mean, I remember when I was a kid, he'd be in the driveway on his car phone. He is the boomer of all the boomers on the car phone in the driveway, wondering what's for dinner. And you know, it was like ridiculous. We're like, wait till you pull in the driveway, get out of the car, come in the house and then ask. And you know, now where time is at such a premium, dad has learned to text, text the kids. We put them on Facebook. He can see what's going on, but now we get the text. If we haven't posted something on Facebook, like, where are you? What's going on? So, anyways, it's a good thing to – I'm sorry to cut you off, Jim. You were saying? Well, I was going to say one more thing, Mary. We'll get Nick to come out to the suburbs, and when we get him face-to-face, because I like face-to-face, we'll take all his little tools away from him and make him sit there and talk to us. (laughs) It sounds like a deal, and I'll also share that my grandson actually knows how to text from my daughter's phone. When she's not looking, he'll pick the phone up, and he will text me. Now it's all gibberish, but nonetheless. Um, he he knows actually how to use the cell phone. Did I mention he was five years old? Wow! <laughs> wow! You know, it, it, the, I would think those. So, I was going to say I think sometimes my texting might be gibberish. It's. I'm starting to realize that it's time to put the phone down sometimes. When I'm at my gym and I'm on, running on a treadmill and I'm watching something on CNN, I want to say something about it online. I want to either put something on Facebook or tweet about it or, or whatnot or share it because I'm not going to remember it later. And that, But I have to stop myself. I'm like, you know what? This is one hour out of the day that I'm just not – I'm dark. And it's okay to go dark every now and then. And Mary, you've talked about that before, that sometimes in organizing your time, you just need to, you know, not be Pavlov's dog and answer every text or every. I mean, that's it's in, that's an interesting dynamic because we're so used to immediately respond, immediately this, immediately that. It's hard to get things done. I remember, I mean, talking about you know working in, in law. Um, you know, I can remember times that you know it was I would spend three hours researching something and writing whatever it was I was writing and I was completely uninterrupted. I would tell the the receptionist, you know, to to hold all the calls and I'd get that work done. But now, um, you know, clients are texting now or then and and if you don't respond right away, um, you know, you're going to get more communications and it's just like ding, ding. It's like someone ringing at the door. The doorbell keeps ringing and you have to answer it or, you know, so it's disruptive. So I don't know. I think that the – do you think it's fair to – what do you think, Mary? Is the jury out on this? I mean, is it okay to go dark at times? What do you think? Um, I'm all about planning. And for every minute we plan um, and and focus on on projects, we get four to ten minutes back. Um, I think it's appropriate for us when we have a project and it's time sensitive and it is meeting somebody else's need um, not just our good humor, but, you know, I think it's appropriate for us, but I think we need to back to that. I think we need to communicate that. Um, and um, and I think we also need to commit to getting the job done um, in in a, um, a very focused and energetic fashion. However, um, sometimes jobs don't always afford us that time, but I think the more chunking up and the more... Um, the more we we actually sit down and go through those daily activity steps that I go through every morning, I end up with so much more of my day 
because for every minute I spend planning, I know I can get four to ten back. Do that for a month. You get 22 days a year. If you, you'll, you'll regain 30 minutes a day if you can just invest 10 minutes, you know, or seven minutes or, you know, even at the low end. What are you going to do with 22 days a year? So people that are just racing in circles feel like they're actually productive when they're oftentimes when we sit down and do a time picture, they're not. Yikes. They're highly ineffective. And, Mato, um, that's, that's, a, that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole segment show in itself. That's a whole other story. And maybe whole that other could be story. next month. And maybe that could be next month's topic. What is it? Let me write it. Be. Talk, talk to me. What is it? What, call, what is the title? Let's do a title. It What's would it be, called? I would call it Effective Personal Productivity. Effective Personal Productivity. Mm-hmm. All right, very the good. The difference between being efficient and effective and what's it costing you in dollars and health, frankly. Efficiency versus effective mm-hmm. and the price you pay. How about that? Exactly. I will put that into the book right now. All right, Mary, thank you for being on the show today. I thank you for your valuable time. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I wish you a good weekend because Thursday is the new Friday. <laughs> Thursday is the new Friday and Saturday. <laughs> and sa- and, and um, no, on Sunday, on Sunday the Bears play the Seahawks. So um, I will be tweeting and texting on Facebook. So if you... <laughs> No work uh, all weekend. Then Jim, thanks for calling in and being on today too. I thank you as well. Oh, I appreciate I appreciate it, Nick, and, and thank you, Mary, for sharing some of the some of the thoughts that you had. Thank all you, right. Jim. Always, always okay. good to have you. Bob, both on here. Um, we'd also like to thank all of our listeners who loyally tune in and listen to our, our shows on Law Talk Radio. We also want to thank today's sponsors. Number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Number two, the Lawyer Market. Number three, Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. And finally, but not least, uh, well, or should I say not last but not least is what I wanted to say, um, credit damage expert George Finder. For upcoming shows, you can visit our website, alrpra.com forward slash Law Talk Radio. There's a tab on the website for Law Talk Radio. For upcoming broadcasts, uh, we work to get those up there as soon as we can. Um, one of the interesting shows that we, I know I've, uh, off top of my head coming up on February 1st, we have... Uh, an individual from the ARDC who's going to talk about different things um, that attorneys and law firms should look at in ways, actually practice management resources and ways to um, not get in trouble with the ARDC. Uh, too often, really good lawyers end up falling, having things fall through the cracks just through uh, organization and not having their uh, business in, in order. So another show that we're going to have coming up soon, we're going to have attorney Laurel Bellows and attorney Mark Harris are going to be talking about uh, executive compensation and planning for the mass exodus, as Mary Erlaine has talked about it, um, with strategic planning. So we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, some of the intellectual property uh, aspects of employees in transition. So all sorts of good things. So do go to the website and check those out. Um, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. The results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among guests and callers on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. 
These Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice areas they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALRPRA, and we thank you for your time.